can hear me. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to High Plains Community Church. As Dan said, my name's Tanner. I work with junior high students primarily, and I see a few out there, so it's good to see you guys. It's good to see everybody, though, um, this Sunday after Christmas. This would be an easy Sunday to stay at home in your pajamas, so I appreciate you all. It's fun to see pretty pretty full crowd this morning, and I just think um, it's it's symbolic. I think that Last year about this time, if we would have known what 2020 would have held, think about, would you have been here maybe the Sunday before 2020 started if you knew what it would have held? So I think it's, I think it's great to see you all here because uh, what better way to prepare for whatever might be held in 2021 than to be in God's house, listening to his word, worshiping him, saying all glory be to Christ because um, I think it's just a good reminder. It's good for us to begin the push into a new year, a new era, hopefully for us, that it's just great to be here with you all. So I want to also just thank Dan and Dan. This is, uh, it's a big deal for them to uh, let me come up here and talk on a Sunday. Those, uh, our pastors are very great pastors. And so if, if you are new with us or one of your first couple of times, I urge you and beg you, please come back and listen to them talk because uh, as I said, I talk to junior high students a lot, so I'm probably going to say things that you, I don't know, they might not say, but I would say in front of junior higher. So here we go. Thanks, Dan and Dan. Good luck, everybody. Hopefully this goes okay. Um, I want to, um, oh, one more thing, too. Uh, the Christmas Eve service, thank you all for watching that, and thank you, yeah, people, we tried to put a lot of work into it, so the fact that it was watched and enjoyed is a big deal to us. I know that it, it kind of confirms to us and makes us feel like, you know, all that work was worth it, so thank you so much. And yeah, 300-plus views, that's, that for our church, for our little church in Gillette, Wyoming, that was a big deal, so thank you all for watching that. Uh, to begin, uh, I, I didn't really know where to start when I was thinking, okay, what am I going to talk about with my, I got a couple of weeks and noticed that this was going to be a Sunday that I get to talk, and I was thinking, you know, where do you go after Christmas? Where do you go after the Christmas story? And thankfully, I feel as though God pointed me in a direction, and I have no idea why, but what we're going to talk about today is what I felt God put on my heart, so hopefully it's for somebody in here. Just to begin, though, I want to Start with kind of an illustration. I want you guys to, this is a good point in the service where you can really be engaged, and hopefully you'll stay engaged the whole time, but this is a good part to be engaged. I want to just uh, talk about something that'll probably drop some emotion, because it does for me. So, and it's not too, not too deep of emotion, so just bear with me. So, think about um, a gift that you've been given sometime in your life. It shouldn't be hard because we just got done with Christmas, but I want you to think of a gift that somebody gave you that maybe um, it, was, it was a gift that you didn't expect would be given to you, either because you didn't know you were on that level with whatever person gave it to you, or you uh, were given a gift that was way more expensive than you thought you were on that level with the person. I, I'm going to quote the office. It, the main character in the office says that Christmas is a great time to give somebody a gift that says, I love you this many dollars worth and so maybe you were given a gift that was far beyond what you thought they how much they loved you right I think this has probably happened to all of us and if not I hope it will at some point in your life but I think we all understand the idea if you're given a gift from somebody you didn't expect uh, 
to give you a gift or it's a gift that's a little over the top and you're thinking, oh my goodness, like I ought to be nicer to this person, right? Like it's, a, it's kind of an uncomfortable situation if this happens, but it's, it's not inherently bad. It's, it's if somebody is giving you a gift out of the goodness of their heart, they're doing it to show you they care about you and they love you that many dollars worth, right? So, so this isn't supposed to be a bad thing, but I know for me, if you're anything like me, if this happens to you, you feel a little bit guilty on the inside, and, and that's the part where I said, like, oh, I should probably be nicer to this person, or maybe now I need to go to the store and, or order something that'll ship in two days or something like that. We have this feeling, and I hope that you can relate, of, like, I need to pay this person back for what they've done for me. They gave me something out of the goodness of their heart. They sacrificed their time and energy and money to give me something that was special, and I should probably do something about it. I don't know if you're like me. It might just be my personality type that I, I kind of want things to be equal. I don't want don't to be left having not made up for something like that, but I think that we can all relate. And today, we're going to talk about the tension that exists in our spiritual life between works and grace the law and the spirit in bondage and freedom, because this whole idea that um, is, is talked about over the term legalism, you've probably all heard this if you've been around church for a while, is, is tough. It's a tough topic to uh, go into, so I chose it for my second sermon here at High Plains. So, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this scripture. But today, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to talk about. The, the tension between those two things, working for our salvation or, or existing and living through grace that is given to us by God. And I think we all know what uh, is the correct way to go about things. But we're going to talk about this scripture today. And uh, as I studied it, I was so convicted because um, guess what? I found out sometimes I live a little bit legalistically. Okay, And I think we all probably will find that as we go through this. So you can thumb over to Galatians if you have a Bible. There's some in the seats in front of you if you don't. We're going to be in chapter 5. I'm going to give you a little bit of a snapshot of what the book up until this point talks about just so that we aren't totally lost when we get to chapter 5. So first and foremost, in the book of Galatians, the first chapter, you would notice if you've read Paul before that he does not include a thanksgiving in the beginning of the book. And if you've read Paul's other letters, he includes a thanksgiving. So it usually begins uh, from Paul, an apostle of Christ, yada, 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 to the the churches of wherever he's sending this letter. And then after that, he usually has a thanksgiving. He says, I always thank God for you because you as a church have done this and this and this. And it's usually exhibited the, the traits that we hope that you would. Paul is writing this book to people who he fostered up in the faith. It would be like me writing a, a letter to the kids that are in my youth group later on down in their life. I'm saying I, it's from Tanner, and I thank God for you because you've shown that you have faith in Jesus. But he usually has a thanksgiving, even in Corinthians. And if you've read Corinthians before or heard about it, they're kind of a nasty church. So he even includes a thanksgiving to the Corinthian church. In Galatia, the churches in Galatia, he omits it, which things like that, especially if you read all of Paul's letters, you're gonna, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. And basically... 
The reason he doesn't is because he's fired up about what's happening. And it's, I don't know, I can't give you what Paul's rationale was, but I'm thinking he doesn't have time to thank God for them because he's got to get this message to them quick and he's urgent and he's fired up about what's happening, okay? And you, you get this sense all throughout the book. The second thing, uh, as a kind of bit of background, is that uh, the reason he is writing to them is because there's another gospel being preached and considered in these churches in this area of Galatia, okay? And it's, it's, it's the gospel that, uh, yes, you are say, people are saying to his, his babies, you know, the people that he had brought up in the faith. They're saying, yes, faith in Jesus is what justifies you and makes you righteous before God, but you also have to live by the law, okay? This would be the sense in which, uh, to connect it to the first illustration, uh, somebody gives you a gift and you're like, okay, thank you for the gift, but I need to do something a little more for you, okay? So in in this sense, these people are saying, you accept Christ by faith and then have lived by grace, but we also need you to be circumcised. And these people are saying circumcision because that is what had marked the people of God for a long, long time, okay? The people of God that God created the covenant with Abraham and Moses and on through their generations, all of the men were always marked by circumcision. That was the mark of the follower of God, okay? So, so they're trying to say to these Galatian people, who were not Jews before, you, you need to get circumcised too. They're saying, you know, getting circumcised is kind of our perk as being the followers of God, so you need to do it also, okay? So there's this cultural confusion because the people of God have gone on for long, hundreds of years being circumcised. That's their mark. And now, because of Jesus, because of the cross, and because of all that he did for us, resurrecting and coming back to life, Not just the people of God, not just the Jews are able to experience justification and salvation uh, before God. Everybody in the whole earth is. The people who believed in God before, the Jews are able to, and everybody else in the whole world. So they're opening up a huge floodgate, right? And that means that these people who never were Jews, who never were circumcised because it wasn't important to anybody else, are coming into their community and they're thinking, what are we going to do with these people, right? It would be kind of awkward. And so the Jews in the community who were circumcised are trying to tell the people who weren't Jews before, you need to be circumcised also. And this is why Paul is fired up. Because this whole book is begging the question, what actually marks the follower of God now? It used to be circumcision. I knew that was going to happen to me. Circumcision... And, and now there is a new mark for the f- people of God, and Paul is going to get into it in this uh, book because this is the issue that has come up. So first what we're going to do is look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. We're going to take it a verse at a time, pull a few things out of that, and then after that we're going to try and look at those verses and try and pull a few things out that we can apply to us today because uh, we're going to read this and, and talk about the things that it meant for those people Later on, we'll talk about what it might mean for us. So chapter 5, verse 1 says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by, by the yoke of slavery. So Paul does not believe that Christ has set us free to give us the opportunity to return back to bondage. 
And notice how he says Christ has set us free. It's, it's something that is available to us right now. Freedom, because of Jesus, is available to us. And it's available to the churches of Galatia, all the way back in history to them. Christ has set them free. But this freedom is a deniable freedom, okay? He's saying you, you can, if you want to, deny this freedom that he's offering you. It's, it's almost like when you, I, I, nobody in here gets frustrated, but when you get frustrated with somebody trying to get an argument across and you kind of like slow down and you go, it's for freedom's sake that Christ set us free, right? It's almost like that tone and who knows what Paul's tone was, but that's the, that's the idea. He's emphasizing the freedom that Christ has, has offered us by forgiving us of our sins because he died on the cross, okay? Paul is trying to make it as plain as day that that's what Jesus did. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So this bondage, this is a bondage that people can prevent from coming upon them. It's unlike the bondage to sin which we all started with. It's unlike that beginning sin which is a part of us from the time we were born, okay? That is a bondage that we can't do anything about until we have faith in Jesus and then we have freedom from it, right? So we can free ourselves from that first bondage of sin. And Paul is saying, now, if you want to go back to being condemned and by uh, living by the law, living by legalism, you can do that, but this is preventable. He says, stand firm. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And it's ironic because Paul, being a former zealous Jew, he was the top of the top of the Jews. He knew the law like the back of his hand, okay? And now he's, trying, he's saying, um, he's, he's contradicting something that I bet he said before, which was the Jews used to say, put upon yourself the yoke of the law as a positive thing. Like that was a, that was a burden that they should bear, and it was an okay thing. It was kind of like, that's our duty as Jewish people. And now he's saying, don't do that to yourself. You don't have to do that to yourself because Jesus died for you. Verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. We get this sense here that Paul grabs the pen out of his scribe's hand and is writing and invoking language that you would use in a courtroom. He's saying, I, Paul, putting his hand on a Bible, I don't know what they, not a Bible, because I don't know what they did in the court of law, but... He's saying, I, Paul, swear that if you let yourself be circumcised, if you submit to this one law, Jesus is no longer valuable to you. And that makes me a little uncomfortable. If, I, if somebody is telling me that if I do something, I'm devaluing Jesus, that should make us uncomfortable, okay? And I bet it made these Galatian believers uncomfortable because they... they, they had probably been told by Paul about meeting the risen Jesus face to face and the fact that he resurrected and he, before that, died on their account. For them to devalue what he did for them would be a big deal. And remember again, Paul would have been the most zealous Jew around. He was the top Jew of the Jews, okay? And now he's trying to say, you, he's, he's trading what he used to find so precious, the law, it was the most precious thing to him. It was the thing that he was zealous after. He was passionate after. He's traded that and not, not saying it doesn't matter, but he's, he's traded his passion for that, for his passion for Jesus and faith in Jesus, okay? 
This is what he's saying. Don't let yourselves be circumcised because if you do, you are leaving behind the thing that I find most, I have most passion and most zeal for and that's the risen Jesus and living how he would have me live. Verse three. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So pretty straightforward here. Submitting to the law of circumcision is a pretty small action, but it has pretty huge implications, doesn't it? it he's saying that if you, if you place the, the weight of that one law on your yoke, you are inadvertently placing the weight of all of the law on your yoke, okay? And, and by this point, the Jewish people had uh, amassed about 600 laws that they were supposed to follow exactly, perfectly. That was the way that they found themselves righteous before God. And he's saying, if you, if you allow yourself to carry this one law, live by this one law, you're actually putting 600 plus laws on your shoulders. And... Nobody can do that. Nobody from the beginning of time could do that. Abraham and Moses. Abraham, the guy that the Jews found the, the father of their faith, the guy that they looked up to so much, he, in fact, himself wasn't even justified by the law because it didn't exist when he was there. He was, he was accounted righteous because he had faith in God, not because he followed the law, because the law did not exist for Abraham. He had communion with God, and that's what made him righteous. This again points to our need for Jesus as the one to make us righteous. We can't follow the law. If you want to live by legalism, it's, it's, it's a futile endeavor, okay? We can't do it. 600 plus laws, and, and today in our culture, we could make a million, and they're endless. There's no end to the moral and spiritual ways that we could do the right thing and check a box, okay? And we can't do it. This is clear, clear pointing to our need for Christ. Verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. So important wording here, trying to be justified and being justified are two different things, aren't they? Paul, Paul is saying you can try to be justified, but uh, you, if you try to, you're going to be alienated from Christ. You, you devalue him and you are alienated from him. You're cut off from him. I know you all probably remember my first sermon. We talked about Colossians, right? Everybody nod? No. In Colossians... Paul talks about the fact that by sin we were alienated from God, okay? We weren't aliens from God. We weren't immediately from the get-go. Adam and Eve were not aliens to God. They communed with God. They walked with him in the garden, okay? And we, because of sin, were alienated. This is reiterating from verse 1. We, we were in communion. We were alienated. Jesus re-brought us into communion with God, and now if we obey the if we go find our justification and righteousness in the law, Paul is saying, do you want to flip-flop again and not be in communion with God? That's what he's saying. Do we really want to make this mistake again? It's crazy. So we remember that passage in Colossians, and Paul is explaining that. And now he's saying we can actively choose once again to be alienated from God. Why would you do this? submitting to the law and putting that yoke of 600 plus laws on your shoulders again, why would you want that? Why would you want that when freedom through Jesus is available? He's 
it's almost like he's watching. You've, you've all done this. You've watched a movie a couple of times, and you know that the main character is about to make a huge mistake or say something dumb and get themselves in a whole bunch of trouble. And every time you watch, I, maybe it's just me, every time I watch it, I'm like, come on, just don't do it this time. And then they do it, right? And you're, trying, you're like, stop, don't do it. But they do it anyways. It's, it's like Paul's watching a movie, and he's like, okay, they're going to alienate themselves again, just like Adam and Eve did. We had, we had good communion because they had faith in Jesus. When Paul preached to them, they were back in communion with God because of Jesus, okay? And he's saying, you have the opportunity to change your course again. You don't have to go back to slavery and bondage to the law. You don't have to. And he's, he's waiting and he's, and he's eager to tell them this because, remember, these are his children. These are the people that he... That he brought up in the faith and taught and, and, and probably went through suffering and hard things to even teach them that. And these are, his, he, these are his spiritual children, and he's trying to prevent them from doing something that will get them hurt. Parents, can you relate to that with your kids? You don't want them to get hurt. He's saying, stop before this gets bad, okay? I'm sure you can relate as a parent, and Paul is just doing the same thing. He's thinking, I've seen this play out with Adam and Eve. They alienated themselves from God by making a bad choice. And these people in Galatia, they're, they're on the verge of making a bad mistake. Paul's sitting at the screen saying, stop, don't do this, okay? Verse five, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Now this seems like one of those verses that I, I you could probably plumb the depths of it for a long time, and I don't know if I am there yet. So, so we're going to take some surface level things from this just to help us understand it. Now Paul's not saying that righteousness and therefore justification before God are something we have to hope for. It's not, he's not saying that we can't have it right now, okay? But he's more so saying, looking forward to a complete and whole righteousness, which will happen when God comes back again. God's, Jesus' second advent to earth is still coming, right? We're still in advent season, even though it's December 27th. We're in advent season until Jesus comes back to earth and makes this whole place new again. This is the righteousness that... Paul is talking about. This is the kind of justification and relationship that he's talking about. He's not saying we have to hope for righteousness and justification sometime down the road. It's not what he's saying. He's saying we will get it even more. We'll have it in completion someday, and we ought to hope for that, but it doesn't mean that we can't have that right now. Because if, if, if that was the case, he's saying we can't have any hope for right now, and I think we do. We have a lot of hope right now couple important words in this verse too. It's important to see that he says, through the Spirit and by faith. And it's in these ways that we have hope and we have righteousness and we have justification before God. Through the Spirit, by faith. Verse 6, and this is where it kind of culminates. If we're talking about what marks the follower of God for us today, we, we are people who have not grown up in Jewish homes, more than likely. And we, we are people who relate to the Gentile, the Galatians in that way. We, we weren't Jews before. So what is, what is the thing that ought to mark us now? Paul says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, 
the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So these outward signs, circumcision and uncircumcision, are now spiritually meaningless, okay? Neither matter. Neither have any value. It doesn't, and Paul says stuff like this elsewhere, it doesn't matter if we're Jew or Gentile, male or female, once we have faith in Jesus, we, aren't on a, we, are, all, we are on a level playing field because we aren't basing our value or our justification or how righteous we are on how many laws we can fulfill, Right? They don't stack two people up, one person who's done more of the law, one who's done less anymore. When we have faith in Jesus, neither of those have any value. Paul's disallowing either party from having an upper hand. He's, not, he's saying that the Jews, who have been a part of the club, if you will, the, the people of God for hundreds of years, back generations, they can, they can follow their ancestry all the way back to Abraham, perhaps. They aren't any better than the Gentiles who were worshiping 30 gods as pagans 10 minutes ago. This is pretty crazy. If you were, if you were in the churches at that time, think about how crazy that would be. If all of a sudden a a huge population of people who didn't really fit your mold, your church culture or whatever you wanted to call it, flooded in and you're thinking, what are we going to do with these people? Paul's saying, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, the thing that marks the follower of God now is not circumcision, it's faith expressing itself through love. Just before um, we head into kind of the application for us, I just want to compare, maybe in your minds, compare with me two things. Compare with me faith which leads to love. So love with the basis of faith underneath it, with the love that our culture tells us we have to have for everybody and anything, okay? What are, what are the difference between these two loves that we should have? Because love, Paul is saying, faith expressing itself through love is the thing that marks the followers of God, the church, the people of God now. So how is our love different from the world's? Just a couple ways, and this is in no way exhaustive, but I think faith that expresses itself through love is, is love which is self-sacrificial. We look at Jesus for our model for what love means. Our, our faith, which expresses itself through love, is, is wise and has the wisdom of God because when we have faith in Jesus, his spirit lives inside of us and directs us and guides us. And that means it also has a direction, too. Compare that with love that our culture says that we ought to have, which is fragile, weak, and in many ways meaningless, and it has no direction. It's ambiguous, it doesn't have a way to go, and it has nothing guiding it. It's just arbitrary love. I love pizza. It's not the same, okay? Faith, which expresses itself through love, is far different, and that's what marks the follower of God today. Not circumcision, not following the letter of the law, not, not fulfilling moral obligations only. Though those things are good, and a caveat over this whole message Never hear me say that any of these things, following the good things that the Bible has, the law, the the commandments are bad. They weren't bad. They were just temporary until Jesus has come, and they are still full of wisdom for us today, but it's not God's primary way for us to earn and have our justification, okay? It's important to say that, I think, because... um, 
I mean, for me personally, I, I feel an obligation to do spiritual disciplines, to do things, to come to church, to worship. Those are all good things, but it's, it, but it's the heart behind it, right? When, it's, when I have faith, doing those things is, is easy because God supplies the grace to do those things. He supplies me grace to serve, read my word, to pray, to do good for others. When, when I am trying to earn my salvation by doing those things, my, my tank's going to run dry pretty quick. So let's just take a few big ideas from those six verses. I want to talk about what happens when we choose to live under legalism. And, and I hope this can be the eye-opening part for all of us. It was for me as I studied this to see what implications there are when I choose to live under legalism. And today, it's, it's, it's not necessarily uh, the same as for the Jews. It's not circumcision, um, eating vegetables and fruit that were cultivated for a certain number of years, not shaving our beards, stuff like that. It's not that. Today, our legalism is, is more so moral things that make us look good from the outside, okay? So here's what happens today when we choose to live under legalism in that way. Number one, we forego freedom for bondage. Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Again, it's the talking really slow. It's for freedom's sake that he set us free, you guys. It's, it's simple, but it has huge implications. So maybe going back to that first illustration, maybe you are one of the people like me who when you get a really great gift, you feel the need to make it up to that person. And if, if you do that for a person, I'm going to go ahead and bet that for God, you do kind of the same thing. When you realize, when you have realized in your life the sacrifice Jesus poured out on the cross for us, you might have the, uh, the feeling deep down that I need to do something to just kind of sh- help Jesus in making sure I'm okay before God, right? It's, it's easy to fall into that. I, I fall into it myself. It's, it's something that we all have to be aware of. It's something that we have to rely on the Spirit to tell us, in this way, Tanner, you are trying to work for your salvation. And when I do that, I, for, I forego freedom for bondage. I'm setting that 600-plus laws, and even today in our culture, it's, not, it's endless laws. It's endless moral duties that we all have. I'm setting that on my shoulders if I follow one. So maybe you have that feeling that you need to make it up to God, and that's the only way he's going to think you're good. And that's the only way you're going to make it to heaven. And it's not true. We actually fool ourselves into thinking that we're following God in the best way possible when we live by legalism, aren't we? We're fooling ourselves. We're saying, I, I, I need to contribute a little bit to this, God, because what you did, Jesus, it wasn't actually enough. I need to make sure you know that I'm, I'm okay. And don't hear me saying, because of Jesus, we don't just do anything. We don't use it as a license to do whatever we want. But we fool ourselves into thinking that that's the best way to live. When in actuality, he desires that we live by the Spirit, overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. Later on in chapter 5, that is where the fruit of the Spirit are listed in the Bible. That's what we ought to live like. And it's not that we look at those words and we say, okay, today I need to be gentle. It comes from an inner place and flows out like a river. That's what the Bible uses as an illustration for the Spirit. It flows out from us. There's no effort on our part. It just happens if we truly have faith. It's, it's, it comes from somewhere deep down and hidden, okay? 
So this is what marks the Jesus follower for given freedom. We find ourselves reconciled and clean before Jesus, and that is what marks us. We don't have to live by bondage. We are free because we are forgiven by Jesus. Number two, what happens when we live under legalism? We devalue Jesus' sacrifice. We talked about this earlier, and I hope it, the, if, if any other ones, this was the one that kind of jarred me. If I live by legalism in any way, if I think that I have to fulfill moral duties to find myself justified before God, I'm devaluing Jesus' sacrifice. It scares me. Paul said, if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Do you want to devalue Jesus' sacrifice? Because if you live by legalism, thinking you can work to earn God's love and satisfaction and your righteousness, you will push the gift that Jesus, that God has placed before you, off to the side. You're saying, "Mm, I don't need it. I can do this. I can handle it. I can handle the weight of the 600 or infinite laws that are on this yoke. I can handle it. That's what you're saying when you live by one. And this scares me. Think about Jesus, a man who lived perfectly, taught, healed, did miracles, and he was killed because he loves you. And and if you choose to live by legalism, you're saying, I don't respect your sacrifice, Jesus. And, and, and unfortunately, you would have to say that to his face someday. That should scare us all. We devalue Jesus' sacrifice. So this is what marks the Jesus follower also. We have honor for our Savior, and we honor him by being repentant and reliant on him. We don't honor him by doing the law and having a little 50-50. Jesus saved me, but also I need to do this and this and this. We are repentant and reliant on God and his spirit which lives in us if we have faith in him. That's how we live as followers of Jesus. And just as the final thought, and again, this is in no way exhaustive, but what else happens when we live under legalism is we inhibit the spirit's power. Paul said, you've fallen away from grace. Fallen away from grace. Remember and recall that grace for the Jesus follower, for the, for the church as a whole, is, is the new operating system that we run on. It's the fuel that propels us forward towards that second advent of Jesus coming back to earth. Grace is our fuel as followers of Jesus to do all the things that he wants us to do, to fulfill, to have the fruit of the Spirit flowing out of us. We can't have any of it if God doesn't first give us grace. It's not originating with us. We have energy from somewhere else. And to live legalistically believes the lie that you can run on you power to do all that God wants you to do. This is, this is another thing that God just, God uh, pokes, poke, poked me right in the chest and said, that's you, okay? And that, that might be happening to you right here as you sit, that's you. I'm trying to run on me power instead of running on God's power because I'm trying to live legalistically. And whether or not we, we frame it in our own minds as legalistically or not, that's what it is when we do it. When we let moral duties and things that we think are going to make us look good from the outside pop in our behind in a chair on Sundays and thinking that's enough to get me into God's kingdom someday, it's not enough. It's not what God wants. It's not getting the heart behind it. 
It has to be inner change from faith because of Jesus. In the new creation that God's making right now, Jesus said that the new creation is, is here and it's being built. It's happening right here on earth right now. We might not always see it, and, and in a year like this, it's hard to see, but I have to choose to believe if, because I have a hope in God. I have to choose to believe that under the surface things are happening that are extending his kingdom. Have to believe it. And if we want to be a part of that building, we have to be laborers who have energy without end because we've received grace from God's spirit that lives within us, okay? We can't be believers who burden ourselves with the yoke of legalism because we're never going to get the job done. We're, we're just, we're just kind of general contractors right now. We're trying to build the kingdom as much as we can before Jesus comes. We're trying to bring people to him. We're trying to show justice in the way that God would have justice be done here on earth. We're trying to make earth as it is in heaven right now, but it's not going to fully happen until Jesus comes back, and we can't do it to the best of our abilities if we rely on us power, right? We have to live relying on God's new operating system, his new fuel, and its grace. So this, above everything, based on what Paul has said, I think, and, and this, is, this is all Paul. This isn't Tanner Sandvik telling you any of this. I hope that you understand that. And that means, and it's God through Paul, through me. So there's, there's some checks and balances there that it's, by the time it gets to me, hopefully it's pretty clean and true. So this is reliant stuff, reliable stuff. This is what truly marks the Jesus follower at the end of the day. It's spirit-led love which flows from faith in Jesus. Spirit-led love with, which flows from faith in Jesus. The only thing that counts, all that counts for us it's not doing things. It's not doing good. It's not making ourselves look good by doing a whole bunch. That's not what counts for the followers of God. It's not what counts for the church in 2020 going into 2021. All that counts for us is faith, which will inevitably lead to love. And remember that love isn't just arbitrary. It's not love which just uh, says you can do what you want. It's love that says somebody died for you. And, and because that man died for you, we ought to live differently, okay? It's a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow, and it's a hard for, pill for me to swallow that, you know, I, I can't actually do anything to earn what he's given me, and none of us can. And if I try to, I'm actually cutting myself off. I might as well just stay on the side of being in communion with God and by being led by his spirit instead of going back to the other side of the chasm where I am cut off from grace, cut off from Christ, where I devalue what he did for me. Let's stay on the side of communion with God as we go to 2021. Whatever that means for you, I've, again, like I said, I have no idea why this is the scripture and the topic which God put on my heart a few weeks ago, but this is what we have. So I hope that it has been beneficial to you all. Just a couple closing thoughts before Dan Kay comes up and prays for us. I, I have to bet that there are probably some of us in this room who, because of whatever has gone on in your life, you feel the weight of 
not just 600 plus laws weighing on your shoulders of religion, but infinite laws of moral things that you have to do. I bet there are people in this room who feel that weight on their shoulders today. You've been living by legalism. You think that you have to earn God's love for you. And it's important that we remember and that we see that circumcision, that living by the law, and it's not circumcision for us, but living by moral duties are not going to get us to where we want to go. If we want to be right before God, we have to have faith. And, and the greatest thing about the Bible, the greatest thing about the story of Jesus is that he actually did open that floodgate. We, anybody on the face of the planet who hears these words has the opportunity to join in. You have to have faith, and you can do that at any point in time. All that counts is having faith in Jesus, and you can do that today. And, and just as a caveat to all of this before Dan comes up, just remember that when we, when we have faith, and, and yes, it makes us the follower of Jesus, it makes us a part of this vast community of people who, who will someday get to rule with God here on earth, on this earth, can you believe that? Little people from a small church in Gillette, Wyoming, will be a part of ruling the world with God because we've made a choice to have faith in Jesus. We don't, we don't just make that choice of faith and then we, we get cut free to have freedom in the sense that you might be thinking. We, we don't just have freedom to do whatever we want. Like I said, it's not license to do whatever we want. We have a spirit that will guide us. When you, when you ask, when you ask Jesus to come into your life and when you ask the spirit to come into your heart, he will be faithful to do that and he will guide you. Not only that, but we have communities of people all across the world. We have a community right here in this building who will help us and leaders that will help us, great leaders who've done this for a long time that will help us. And we, at the end of the day, always have a pastor in Jesus Christ himself who you can talk to, who you can submit yourself in faith to him at any point in time. He's available to talk. God is available because of Jesus' sacrifice. So, as we um, close today, would you just bow your heads and just ponder, ponder all of this. If it's, if, it's, if it's you, the person who has been walking through life with the 600 laws on your shoulders, realize today that all the implications that has. You can have faith in Jesus, and that is a simple choice, and it has huge huge, huge implications that are great. It's not an implication like putting one law on your shoulders and add a whole bunch of others. It's, it's lifting. Jesus calls his yoke a, a light and easy yoke, okay? Ponder these thoughts as Dan comes up and prays.